Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Adam. And what a great song. How many glad he's risen and we serve a risen Savior this week. And I want to remind you at the end of the service, we're going to be taking communion together. So gather your communion emblems because this is a special evening. Of course, this is the night that Jesus uh, took his communion with his disciples the night before, uh, uh, the night he was arrested and taken in uh, to custody, and of course began Passover and uh, began the uh, crucifixion weekend and resurrection. And so uh, this is a great weekend and just a great reminder of we serve a risen Savior. And uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, if you'll turn to the book of Psalms 23, and uh, I've been in a series and uh, this is the second message, of course, this week. And uh, I've taken two weeks to introduce uh, Psalms 23 to us. And, uh, and the title of this series is uh, Paralyzed by Fear or Empowered uh, by Faith or Empowered uh, by Hope. And so how many know we don't have to be paralyzed by fear, but we can be, um, we can be empowered by faith and we can be empowered by hope in our lives. If you have your copy of God's Word, Psalms 23, and I want to preach. I want to preach part two of last week. Last week we began the talk, and we just got through verse one. I'm going to preach the second part of verse one tonight, and uh, and as an introduction into this series. And uh, God has just given me some really fresh revelation. Uh, into this book. But I'm going to read the whole psalm because I want to read it by faith to you. And uh, the Bible tells us, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul and leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a very powerful, powerful psalm. And I want to focus on verse 1. And verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, last week we talked about, uh, we talked about, the word worry. And in verse 1, we talked about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and that we have the tendency of what worry does to our life. And I told you that worry, the root of worry was control. Really, the root of worry is control. And uh, uh, by the confession, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is the confession of the fact that the Lord is in control of our lives. And as we begin to look at this series and I begin to think about that, I begin to think that I believe God is about ready uh, to help us cross the threshold uh, of destiny in our life, that we are on this precipice. I believe that God is about ready to really give the church some serious marching orders in our life. And I believe that in a moment, in a service like this, live stream, or in a moment, in a season, in a Bible study, in a prayer time, that in a moment, God can make a difference in that moment. And I believe that God can instantly change us. And he can do in a short time what at times could have been taken months. God 
can do in a moment and in a minute. And so when we look at this scripture, we learn that God comforts us, God leads us, and He guides us. We learn that that God wants to accelerate our lives spiritually and, and accelerate us spiritually. And so the title of tonight's message is, He Knows How to Lead Me Because He Knows Where I'm Going. He Knows How to Lead Me. He Knows How to Lead You Because God Knows Exactly Where We Are Going where we're headed, where he's taking us to. And so tonight, you know, I was talking with someone yesterday, and uh, I have talked a lot about this lately, is that we've talked about seasons and what seasons mean. And anytime we talk about seasons, I'm reminded (coughs) of a book I read a few years ago uh, um, uh, that was written by a man by the name of Dr. Henry Cloud from the Minerith Myra Clinic. And in his book, he reminds us about how seasons are in our life, that there are times and seasons when there are necessary endings in our life. That when we enter into, he says it like this, when we enter into one season, uh, we must be preceded by the exiting of old seasons. In other words, he argues that the endings are not all, that ending seasons are not always evil. That ending seasons are sometimes necessary in our life. In other words, uh, we learn that sometimes that, that ending a season in our life, it means that God is opening the door for a new season. But we're reminded in this psalm that we are led by the Lord. It's the Lord that leads our lives. It's Him that leads us into the places that He wants us to be. You can say, uh, uh, you know, hello to some new things. You can't say hello to some new things in your life until you're willing to say goodbye to some other things. We have to understand that that entering into new seasons, that we stand at the beginning of a new season, um, that that principle is relevant to us today. How many know that when the end of this virus and the quarantine is over, that really we are going to be stepping into a new season? And we have to understand that stepping into that new season, that we hear there's some things we have to be willing to let go of that are in the past or that are old that won't be relevant for the new season we are about to walk in. And I believe that some of us uh, is about ready to step into seasons in our life that are much different than what we've walked through in before. Uh, I've even, uh, I even pray that I have some new problems <laughs> in the next season of my life. Because how I many know you can get weary of battling the same old problems, uh, the same old reoccurring cycle, and the same old problems in our lives? And I believe what Dr. Cloud was saying in his book is, is very important, and it's very necessary for us who are believing God for some new things in a new season, and we have to understand that we have a date with destiny. And we can't afford to miss what God is doing right now and that what God wants to do in our future. We can't afford to miss what God wants to do in us. We can't afford, we have a date with destiny, you have a date with destiny, and we know this, that the Lord is the one who leads us. He is the one that guides our lives. Jeremiah tells us, through God, through Jeremiah tells us, uh, he knows the plans he has for us. 
and the purpose that he has, not to harm us, but to give us a hope and to give us a future. In other words, the key to that passage of Scripture is this. It says, God says, I know the plans I have for you. The Scripture doesn't say, you know the plans. The Scripture says, I know the plans that I have for you. In other words, some things, uh, there are some things that God doesn't initially let us in on. In other words, when God is leading us, He's leading us into new seasons, or He's leading us in the pathways that we go. If we're following God, we have to understand that God knows the plans that He has for you, that God is for your best interests, that He's leading you, He's guiding you, but sometimes God doesn't always let us in on the season we're about to walk into. Therefore, to get His desired future, our destiny uh, has to be uh, we have to desire to get to our destiny and to get to the place that He is leading that He wants to take us to go. Which means this, we have to say goodbye to some of many of the things that we'd rather keep, we have to say goodbye to. And there, are, there is one thing that we all like to hang on to, that in order if we're going to let God lead us, we have to let go of. And that's control. Sometimes we have to let go of control. In other words, for us to make the declaration, or for David to make the declaration, the Lord is my shepherd, what he is saying is, uh, I see God as more than just a Savior. And we know that he's our Savior, but how many know he's more than just the Savior? That he's more than just one that has delivered us I see God as not only a savior, but he's also a shepherd. He does more to save my life, um, and, and he not only just saves my life, but he's the one that leads my life. And so as a savior, he, he, he's one that delivers us and frees us, but he just doesn't leave us at salvation. That he's the one that leads us into and leads our life. And so we can't just look at God as someone who cleans up our past, but he's someone who guides our future. Not just handle my mishaps and my mistakes, but he's the one that orders my steps. I want you to know the Lord leads us tonight. He just doesn't handle our failures and our mistakes and uh, the things that we do, but he's also one who orders my steps. And in this psalm, uh, David realizes that, that he has to live up to something. He has to give up something that he would rather keep. And in other words, David had to learn along the line that somewhere along the line, in order for the Lord to be his shepherd, he had to be willing to let God have control of the leading of his life. And that's what this passage in verse 1 is about. It's about giving God control, giving God the reins of our life. Being able to say that the Lord is my shepherd is saying that, God, you know how to take my future, and you know how to lead me better than I know how to lead me. And maybe some of us, the reason why we haven't progressed in some ways is because we've not given up full control to God. And sometimes giving up control can be very difficult, but, but uh, it, it's, it's logical. See, control really is an illusion. Even when we think we have it, we don't. 
And the truth is, is to feel uh, there's a false sense when we feel like we are in control because when we think we are in control, the truth is we really aren't in control. I can be a careful driver, but I can't, but I can't control how others drive. I can, be, I can construct the bid, but I don't have control whether or not that bid is accepted. I can control the offer on a property, but I can't control whether or not that property is accepted. I can control my grades in order to get accepted into a university, and I can control uh, an interview on a job, but I can't control whether or not my grades get me the entrance or acceptance, or I can't control whether or not the interview gets me the job. In other words, we contribute, but we don't control it. We influence it, but we don't determine the outcome. And, and, and when we make attempts to control and, and to control the outcomes of things, what happens is we begin to carry something we've not been intended to bear. So in other words, there are things that we make decisions and we can control some things, but there are a lot of things that we don't control the outcomes to things. And when we try to manipulate and try to make things work on our own strength, what happens is we begin to carry the pressures that God has never intended us to carry. In other words, only God controls our outcomes. And, and carrying what God is intended to bear, uh, when we carry what God is only intended to bear, our lives begin to crumble because we're trying to carry something only God was intended to carry in our lives. We begin to try to carry the weight of something because we want to control outcomes in our life. And all we have to do is to walk into places of obedience and let God control the outcomes of our life. If the Lord is my shepherd, I, I can only be obedient to what God asks me to do, and he leads me, but I don't control the outcomes. God controls the outcomes. That takes a whole lot of pressure off us when we, when we try to make things happen, when we try to make his will work in our life. And so the consequences of trying to carry something only that God is intended to carry, the stress, and we become overwhelmed, and we become anxious, and we become uh, uh, stressed out over certain things. I, I've noticed that through this coronavirus and this quarantine, that, that there's, there, there's this thing in us that wants to control the outcome of this. We want to, we want to control our own uh, uh, instructions, and, and, and we find it hard listening to what the government asks us to do and following the guidelines of what the CDC asks us to do. And we, we're trying to figure out how all of this works, and all we have to do is be obedient. But we have to understand that if the Lord is our shepherd, he's the one that guides the outcomes in our lives. Now, I am going somewhere tonight, and I am taking you someplace, because David said it like this. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. In other words, we control decisions, but God controls the outcome. In other words, we can experience what David experienced. What's interesting about this psalm is not so much that David wrote it. Of course, we know that he wrote it, but, but uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's not just what we know um, after David was king, we know that he must have 
when he wrote this psalm that he must have wrote it while he was king, looking back over his life and he, he was realizing that through his life, God had been leading him all the time. But for order for him to be in the place to where he says, the Lord is my shepherd, he had to come to the revelation that God led him and was leading him. That's why I tend, have a tendency to believe that David wrote this at the end of his life because I believe he looked back over his life and he realized that there were times when he wanted to be in control. There were times when he wanted the reins. But he sits back and he looks back over his life and he's thankful that God was the one that was in control of his life. Now when we begin to look at this scripture, we see that the Lord, the word Lord Jehovah, we talked about that word last week, and that, that word comes from the Hebrew word, uh, which means to be. It's a covenant word. It means that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The word to be. And to Moses, uh, to Moses, when he was coming to Pharaoh, he said, who do I tell Pharaoh that I am? And God said, tell him that I am the I am. In other words, he was saying to Moses, I am what you need when you need it. In other words, I'm the God that cleans your past up. I'm the God that works in your present, and I am the God that takes care of your future. Abraham, to Abraham, he was Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He provided the lamb in the thicket for the sacrifice, the substitutional sacrifice for Isaac. To Gideon, he was Jehovah Salom. He was Gideon's peace when Gideon was instructed to work and do for God. He will be what you need him to be the moment you need him to be. David looks at his life and says, how did I end up here? There's no logical explanation for where I am today. There's no logical explanation for why I got to where I got and where God had got me from and brought me from to where I am today. There's no strategic plan that could have done it. There's no life plan that could have done it. There's no vision board that could have done it. David looked back over his life and at the end of his life and all the accomplishments and all the things that God did for him, all the things that God allowed him to do, he looks back over his life and says, only God could have done that. Only God could have been there. Only God could have put that together in my life. If you'll live for God long enough and you'll learn to allow the Lord to be your shepherd, you'll look back over life and you'll say, only God could have done that. I could not have planned that myself. I could not have put that together myself. Only God could have done what he's done in my life today, right now. How many are thankful that where you are today, you can look back and say, I couldn't have planned that. I couldn't have done that myself. For you can say, just as I can, the Lord is my shepherd. But there's times when we want control and times when we want to be in charge, but we have to learn to continue to give that control up to God because he knows the plans that he has for us. And so I began to think about this and thought, where did this begin in David's life? How did David learn that the Lord is my shepherd? Where did this start? How did David come to the place to where he come to the understanding and where he got this great revelation that the Lord is a shepherd? Where did he learn to let go of the reins and let God have control over his destiny and over the plans of his life? You know, somebody's watching tonight, and I just want to tell you, and I feel this strongly. I believe the Spirit of the Lord is telling you tonight, let God lead you. He's the one that's responsible for you. 
You don't have to manipulate plans in order for God to lead you where he wants you to be. He's the one that's in charge. And if he's in charge, he will open doors that no man can shut. He will help you walk through deserts that others don't survive in. He'll help you get through trials that others don't make it through. Why? Because he is the Lord that leads us, and he is our shepherd. And as I begin to look at this in 1 Samuel chapter 16, I believe it all started in the context that when David was called to be a king, that it was right at that moment when David stepped into that kingship, when he stepped into that period. And it's interesting because in the history of Israel, for five decades, they had had religious and silver leaders or civil leaders uh, through the book of Judges. We receive, and we know that the book of Judges tells us that, that every man did that which was right in his own eyes, and that Israel never did have a clear leader. They were always led by judges. And what began to happen is, is that Israel saw that other nations had a king, and Israel wanted a king. In other words, Israel wanted a king. They continued to ask God for a king. And you know what's interesting is that the closer that Israel got to other nations, when they began to worship gods of other nations, when they began to get closer to those who didn't serve God, all of a sudden Israel began to gain appetites for the things that other nations had. You know, that's a principle to us to learn, that the church can learn from that. We can learn that the closer we get to the world, we become and begin to want appetites and want the things that the world has. And just because other nations had kings, Israel wanted a king. They wanted to beg God for a king. But God said this. God said, I'll be your king. I will be your shepherd. I will be the one that leads you. And they continued to say, no, we want a natural king. We want a physical king. We want someone to sit on the, on the throne. In other words, they were so exposed to the world, they began to want the things that the world had wanted. And it was something that they continued. They kept asking and kept asking and kept asking God. And so, like God normally does, God gives them what they ask for. I want to tell you, you keep asking God and keep asking God and keep asking God and God continues to tell you no and God continues to tell you no, but you keep wanting to direct your own life and keep wanting to push through your own life. I want to tell you, God will give you what you want, but you may not want what God gives you. And the children of Israel were like the same way. And what began to happen is, is not because they needed it, or because God gave it to them, not because they needed it, or, or that it was right to have. God did it for this reason. I want you to hear me tonight. Because when God can't teach us through instruction, he has to teach us through experience. Listen, when God can't get your attention through the instruction of his word, when God can't get through to us by his instruction, he has to teach us through experience. And God continued to tell the children of Israel, all you need is me. And the children of Israel kept saying, no, we want a king. We want a king. God said, okay, I'll give you a king, but I'll tell you what the outcome of having a king is, and you're not going to like the outcome. And so God tried to instruct them, but they would not listen to God. So now they wouldn't listen to God through instruction. Now God has to teach them through experience. 
I don't know about you, but I, at times in my life, God has given us the Word of God, and there's times that we have ignored the instruction of God, but God had to teach some of His principles through the experience that we had. He told them what would happen, yet they still wanted a king. So God allowed them to learn through experience. They learned through experience what would have they, what God would have preferred them to learn through instruction. And so God gave them a king, and God gave him the king, and we all know the first king that God gave him was Saul, who was a Benjaminite. And uh, uh, Saul came on the scene, and Saul served God for a season, for the first part of a season. And what happened to Saul was his greatest failure was his success. Saul's greatest failure was his success. His success brought him to a place to where he became intoxicated with arrogance. He thought that his success came from himself. His own pride led him to the place to believe that he was doing it on his own without God. But God said, hey, you don't want a king because you don't want what comes with a king. But the children of Israel said, we want a king, we want a king. So God says, now you're going to experience what I've tried to instruct you from, And now they've got Saul, and Saul started off in a season, and a good season, but what happened was Saul's arrogance and Saul's intoxication with arrogance, his success was his greatest failure. And he became a person who wasn't trustworthy to God. I began to think about this, and the very thing that God told the children of Israel would happen, happened. God removed him, but didn't tell him. So Saul's disobedience and lack of trustworthiness, his arrogance and pride, God removed him as king, but God didn't tell Saul. God told the prophet Samuel. He told Samuel to tell him. And he told him that even though he was in the position of king, he no longer had the authority of a king. Even though he occupied the role, he did not have the divine authority. And God removed him, not because Saul was imperfect, but because he was, he was not trustworthy. In other words, God removed Saul, not because Saul had flaws in his life, because we know that David's life was even more grievous and inappropriate than Saul's. But the difference was, is that Saul was not trustworthy. David had a heart after God. And there's a big difference in knowing that no one who leads or no one, none of our lives are perfect. None of our lives lives in this place of without perfection because the thriving of the Christian life is not perfection. The the, the strive of the Christian life is to be obedient to God, that God can use us and and trust us with what he calls us and asks us to do. Because God can use people who are not perfect, but God has a hard time using people he can't trust. God said, I gave you an assignment with the Amalekite Saul, and Saul, you didn't carry that out, so I can't trust you. Here's, 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 and and this, and here's what happened. Samuel, the the man who appointed uh, Saul, uh, now Samuel uh, in the morning in 1 Samuel chapter 16, is in the morning um, over the fact that Saul has been rejected. We see in 1 Samuel 16, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him for reigning over Israel? 
Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself, myself a king among his sons. Now here we have Samuel who is mourning the death of Saul. He's mourning the death of Saul, and he's sad that Saul had to leave. But listen, uh, he's sad Saul had to leave, but he would have been more upset if he, if, he, if, he, uh, if he let him stay because God will allow us to cry a little now to protect us from crying a lot later. God will protect us from crying a little bit now to keep us from crying a lot later. Samuel was sorrowful that Saul was removed and that Saul was gone. And he was, he was weeping and he was feeling the sadness. But God was saying, if I would have allowed him to remain, that if he would have remained, the sorrow would even have been greater. And we have to understand that there are times when God transitions our life or changes our life or instructs our life or does something in our life or corrects something in our life and we find it a time of sadness or we find it a time of weeping. But God does it not because he's trying to destroy us. God is telling us, listen, you may cry and be sad a little bit now, but it's to keep you from weeping a lot later on. How many know God knows how to lead us? And he knows how to lead our lives. And the Bible tells us that he goes down to Jesse's house. And, uh, and he says, when you get there, to Jesse's house, you will see that I have a king that is there. That I have a king that's in the house. So he goes there, and we read down through there that as he arrives, uh, he goes down to make sacrifice. And he calls... He gets there and Jesse calls seven of his sons to come before Samuel to make sacrifice. And as as they come before, uh, we see that in verse 6 and 7, we see that the first son comes. And and beginning in verse 5, it says, And he said peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourself. Come with me to sacrifice. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. In verse 6, it says, So it was. When they came, he looked at Elab and said, Surely the Lord has anointed, surely the Lord's anointed is being before him. In other words, Samuel, the prophet, who was a seer, who was a prophet of God, looked at the firstborn son of Jesse and said, Surely this is the one. Surely this is the one that's being anointed by God. Surely this is the one that uh, is going to be anointed. And To his surprise, the Lord says to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks outward appearance, but God, the Lord, looks at the hearts. In other words, the prophet Samuel, who's supposed to be able to see, he sees, and God says, Listen, this is not my criteria. My criteria is this. You may look on the outward appearance, but I look upon the heart. And the seven sons came before him, and none of them God gave the green light for Samuel to anoint. We get down later in verse 11, and Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? And then he said, There remains yet one of the youngest, and there is he keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him. For we will not sit down until he comes. And so Jesse sent for him. 
You all know the story. David comes, and uh, uh, he looks nothing like his brothers. The Bible says that on the outside that he looks ruddy, and it says that, that uh, on the outside that he's ruddy looking and that, uh, and, and that he, he's different and that his bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise and anoint him for this is the one. The Lord says, this is the one. This is the one that is king. And Samuel had took the ram's horn. And he began to take the ram's horn and began to pour. And when he poured, that oil began to flow out on David's life. It began to flow out on David. Now, here's what Jewish rabbis say and historians, as I was studying this week, this is what they say. They said that Samuel tried to pour the oil on the first seven brothers, but the oil would not flow. In other words, he tried to put the oil on the seven brothers, and because the oil would not flow, he knew this, these, these boys wasn't the one. But when David stood there and all of a sudden the oil began to flow, he began to pour out the oil, and all of a sudden the oil flowed when David got there. Now I want you to look at this for just a moment. Seven people got there before David. Seven came first. And the oil didn't flow. David, who was the eighth, came. And all of a sudden, the oil began to flow. It was Listen, seven were before David, and the oil didn't flow. But David was the eighth. And when David came, the oil began to flow. Of course, the oil began to move and to pour out on David, who was the eighth son, which is a, a, a significant in the sense that we know that is a picture of new beginning. It was supposed to be a picture of new beginning for Israel. It was a picture of new beginning. Listen, David later in his life looks back at that moment and he looks at that and he says, that's the moment. That's the moment God began to lead my life. And it was from that point on I could say that the Lord is my shepherd. I cannot want. <clears throat> it was the moment when David would begin to learn how to give God control of his life. Now listen. This is what I want us to see. What does that suggest? What is that, Pastor? Seven came before and the oil didn't flow. David shows up. He's the eighth that comes. Uh, what happened to the body of Christ that first come, first serve? What happens that the prettiest one or the good one or the most talented one gets the position? Or the one that's there first or the one that's there, he gets the spot or he gets the position. I'm here to tell you that's not God's economy. God's economy is that God is in control. That God is in charge. And here's what we learn. What does that suggest? That God has something reserved for you and me. And it doesn't matter who gets there first. If it's meant for you, when you get there, the oil will begin to flow. My God, you hear that tonight? I'm here to tell you that it doesn't matter if 10 people get there before you. That when you get there, if it's meant for you, then the oil will begin to flow in your life. You can be the 10th one to put a bid in for a job as a contractor, but it doesn't matter that you're 10th. If you're the one to get it, the oil will begin to flow. It doesn't matter if you're the first the last one to apply when others have applied first. If it's meant for you, the oil will flow. It doesn't matter if who shows up first. If it's meant for you, the oil will flow. In other words, what, it doesn't matter uh, what your family connections is or what your network is. 
if it's meant for you, the oil will flow. In other words, if you miss it, it wasn't yours. If you didn't get it, it didn't belong to you. If it, if it didn't come your way, God didn't intend it for you. Those quit crying and mourning over something that God has pushed away that said no and start looking for areas in your life where the oil can begin to flow in your life. But if you'll let the Lord be your shepherd and let him lead you, he will lead you. You may be the eighth one that shows up, but if it's where God wants you to be, the oil will begin to flow. And if it's not, then it won't. I'm here to encourage you when we read that psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, there's more to it. And a lot of times we read over scripture and we don't really understand the depth of what it is. Now I've got a lot to get to and I, I hang in with me tonight. Come on, I feel the anointing flowing. When you find your spot, God will let the oil begin to flow. Some of you are serving God out of place. You're trying to open doors that God has not opened. You're trying to make things happen in your life that God has never intended for you to be at or to be. But the only reason you desire it is because like the children of Israel, you keep asking and keep asking and keep asking. And I'm here to tell you, sweetheart, God will give you what you ask for, but you won't want what God's given you. You need to be like David and say, the Lord is my shepherd. And when you arrive at a place and the oil begins to flow, it's the confirmation that God had put you there and brought you there. Hallelujah. I don't know if you're feeling what I'm feeling tonight, but I'm here to tell you, God wants the oil to flow in your life. I want you to know that I'm not mad. I'm just excited because I know the presence of God, what it's like to find the place of our purpose in life. And I'm here to tell you that when you find it, God, the oil will begin to flow. Now I want you to see something. And it's amazing. And whatever is yours, God is waiting on you to get there until you get there. And when you get to that place and the oil begins to flow, you can begin to rejoice in your anointing. But I want you to see something. I think this is, this is really kind of funny because it's interesting. Let's look. Let's look at, verse, uh, look at verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David that day forward. So Samuel rose. And listen, Samuel got up and he went to Ramah. Now, you may not think much of that. But I'm sitting here thinking, here he anoints David with oil. And all of a sudden... The anointing, the power of God comes on David. There's one passage of scripture in 1 Samuel that says, and that, that day forward, the power of God came on David greatly. In other words, David is anointed. And while he is still greasy, say greasy. Greasy. While he's still greasy, Samuel gets up and heads off to Ramah. He anoints him king of Israel. And all of a sudden, Samuel gets up and leaves David standing right there where he is. Grease and all, oil and all, Samuel leaves and leaves David standing right there. Now think about that for a moment. I thought, I thought, well, David's probably standing there going, uh, so, so what? <laughs> like, is there a chariot coming to get me? Is there going to be a parade? It's like you anointed me with oil and you left. I got my brothers standing here with resentment. And, and you anointed me king and you left me here. And uh, 
Uh, and, 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 and I'm standing, what do I, what do, I do, bro? What, where do I go from here? In other words, he may felt like that he was, he was not given the, the due, that he, was, he felt that he was forgotten. He felt that he had been overlooked and no one appreciate what he did. But I'm here to tell you this. God has a way of taking those who think that there's nobody and God can log in the memory somebody and bring remembrance to you. God is the one who opens your doors. God knows how to put you in position in the palace. God knows how to position you rightly. And everybody's may have forgotten you. And everybody may not. You may feel underappreciated. You may not feel like you're loved. You may not feel like God, that the kingdom is not using you or your church is not using you like you should be. I'm here to tell you that though you may feel overlooked, the shepherd knows where you are and he knows how to lead you. And what he wants you to do is be faithful where you are at the moment and he will close the God gap and begin to find you a position in the palace if you'll be obedient right where you are right now. I know that I have to hurry up. I really have to get to this. I, I, there's a place I want to go tonight. And so I'm going to skip along a little bit. And, and, and here, here's the thing. David begins to play for Saul, but the whole time he plays for Saul, he never left the place where God found him. He never left the place. His, he never, David never abandoned his responsibility at his father's house. David never abandoned. In other words, even though his daddy had a king in the house and he didn't know it. You know, David could have felt real resentment toward his father. All of his brothers being brought up before Samuel. And now David being king and and, and the resentment of the thought, he had to work through the thought that his father did not even recognize him as legitimate, that to be somebody, something that God would use, that his own father would not recognize the gift that was in him or not recognize the fact that God had put kingship on the inside of him. I'm here to tell you that you cannot look at your life through the prism of natural eyes. You cannot... Look through the prism of, of the resentment because you've not been recognized or you've not been promoted or you've not been seen. I'm here to tell you God just may be protecting you in the Father's house. He just may be protecting you where you are till the moment comes that he opens the door, the right door for you at the right moment. What do you do when people don't want to see you that you want to see you? What do you do when you feel have rejection issues and you're stuck with Saul so long? Matter of fact, he kept returning to Saul's house even after Saul began to throw spears at him. I'm just here to tell you, bro, you throw a spear at me, I'm done. I'm out of there. But David continued even after Saul began to throw spears. He never left his father's house. It was representative of God's perfect will. God's house. He never left his father's house. No matter what happens outside the house, ne outside the house, never leave the house because the anointing is in the house. He found me in the house. The house opened the door for my opportunity to the palace. David never left his father's house until God opened the door. Now, here's what I want to get to tonight. I want to get through it pretty quickly because I want to, I want to take it here tonight. Here we have David. 
He's in the father's house. He's been anointed king. And it didn't come quickly. He had to let God close the God gap. And the God gap is that time between where you are right now and the destiny that God has for you. And it's not your gift that promotes you, but it's your obedience. And I want us to see here, David, he is in his father's house and his his father says one day, he says, I want you to take some food to your brothers who's in the military and I want you to carry some food up to them. And when he gets up there, he hears this giant insulting the children of Israel and he hears this going on. And when David gets there, he's like, look, did nobody hear this? Ain't nobody hearing this uncircumcised Philistine? David is furious. And David's like, here, hold my food. Because David is incensed that this uncircumcised Philistine is challenging the children of Israel. Now we know that, you know, the story, you've known it many times, that, 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 that those times there were representative battles, they would send out the two greatest warriors to fight to determine who wins the battle. And, but David is, look, look, David, David says this, he says he even sees Goliath different than those in the children of Israel. The children of Israel see him as a giant. But look what David does. David sees him as an uncircumcised Philistine. They see him as a giant, but David sees him as an uncircumcised Philistine. In other words, they see the same thing, but they're seeing it differently. David says says he's an uncircumcised Philistine. What does that mean? It means that he does not have a covenant with God. David sees him as someone who doesn't have a covenant with God. The the children of Israel see him as a giant, see him as being big. But David says, no, 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 you don't understand. This guy don't have a covenant with God. We have a covenant with God. And if we have a covenant with God, then if God be for us, then who can be against us? Both of them had different stories. Both of them had different stories to tell. The children of Israel saw him as a giant. David saw him as uncircumcised. The children of Israel looked at him as as someone who had a sword. But David looked at him as someone who didn't have a covenant with God. And I have an agreement with God. They looked at him as someone who was strong and had armor and had a sword. But David said, no, I don't care how big he is. I don't care what weapons he has. I don't care what armor he is. He is a man that does not have a covenant with God. I have a covenant with God. And I want to hear to tell you that when God opens the door for you to step out and begin to close the God gap, what begins to happen in our lives is that God begins to fight our battles for us. David said, I'll fight him. I'll fight him because God's the one who fights my battles. God is the one that is my defender. You know how David got that? Where did that attitude of David come? That attitude came from David while he was in the father's house. Now what David learned at the father's house and what David learned through responsibility has now prepared him to step into a place of spiritual promotion and take a step closer to the position that God has anointed him to have. To take to begin to take another step to close the God gap in his life. You know where David learned how to have faith like he had to battle Goliath? He learned it in the father's house. He didn't become anointed king and leave his father behind and come out of the responsibility of where he was and his responsibility to the father. 
The father said, go take food to your brothers. And David was obedient. It wasn't his gift, but he was obedient. But David learned that the battle belongs to the Lord. He learned that God was his defender. What he learned was is that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's what he learned. David learned to fight him. David said, so what shall be done for the man that that kills this uncircumcised Philistine? And and they say, well, you shall have the daughter of the king. He says, okay. And they said, well, you don't have to pay debt taxes. And he says, great, I'm in. And so David, what happens is David begins to prepare for battle with this uncircumcised Philistine. And Saul is checking him out, and Saul realizes, and he realizes that you don't fit the profile of a person who wins battles like these. He understands that David really don't fit the profile of a particular warrior. He's not one that looks like a warrior. And so David here, he leaned on his experience with God that, that, that Saul uh, didn't see the credibility in his life But David said, listen, here's what's interesting. In other words, David said, I'm prepared for this battle because in my father's house, I learned how to fight the lion and the bear. And the lion and the bear prepared him for this battle. He was obedient in the father's house. He learned how to fight the lion and the bear. And at the time, that trial of the lion and the bear seemed to be an agitation to David. But really what was an agitation to David was a preparation for David to step into the place that God had for him. He was teaching David that he was teaching David that God had the ability to defend him, that God had the ability to assist him, and because he had overcome the lion and the bear in the father's house, he knew that this battle belonged to the Lord. And he knew that his credentials didn't impress Saul, but he wasn't trying to impress Saul. What he was doing was being obedient to God and said, if God is for me, I can win this battle. And God began to close the God gap in his life. In other words, David, Saul tried to put his armor on David, and David said, it doesn't fit. Your armor doesn't fit me. I know historically this is the way that you go into battles with armor, but David said, look, God's given me another way. I can wear, uh, 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 you know, uh, I don't have to wear what everybody else is wearing. I don't have to fight like everybody else fights. I don't have to conform to what everybody expects me to be or everybody expects me to do. I'm here to tell you when you learn to walk in obedience, sometimes you've got to step out of the box of what is expected of you and what is, and what is, and what is, uh, uh, what people say, this is how you're to do it or this is how. Listen, sometimes you've got to learn that the oil that was put on you, your anointing is your anointing. You may not do it like everybody else does it, but God has anointed you to do it the way that God has asked you to do it. And you're able to look in the eyes of people like Saul and say, this is what God has given me the ability to do. I know what God has said to me. I have to be obedient because I'm being led by a shepherd, by one that's greater than me, not my will, but his will be done in my life. In other words, David said, let me get me some rocks. David got him some rocks. And I'm here to tell you that's not the way they normally fought 
It's not the way it's normally done. That's against the church growth movement. That's against the systems. That's against the domination. That's against what we're used to do. People will try to impose their armor upon you and make you wear armor that doesn't fit you. David said, just give me some rocks. Now the Bible says he takes five rocks, but he only uses one. We know it's not the first time he's used a slingshot. And when David threw that rock into the forehead of that giant and he fell, everybody was afraid of the strength of the giant. Everybody was afraid of the sword of the giant. Everybody was afraid of the armor of the giant. But the thing was that the giant never got close enough to David in order to impact him. So David didn't need armor. David didn't need a sword. David didn't need. David used what God gave him. And what happened was David, where David hit him, the enemy couldn't even get close enough to him. In other words, the weapons of that enemy could not even get to David. And David took from Goliath what the enemy was using to destroy David. David took the weapon from the enemy and he turned it around and began to use it on the enemy. I'm here to tell you the devil will come at you and the weapons that he comes out you with, he comes at you at the point of your weakness. He tries to come at your, your weakness. And I'm here to tell you that if you're obedient to God, God will anoint you to take that weapon from the enemy. He will not get close enough to you. You'll take the weapon from the enemy and begin to use the weapon he used against you upon him. That's why God saves drug addicts, so that drug addicts can go back out into a drug addict world and, and be, have an impact. That's why God saves men in the business world, so God can send them back into the business world. And what the enemy has tried to use to destroy them, God will put it back in their hands and they'll go back and slay the, the Goliaths of the world. And if you're obedient, you will close the God gap and the God gap will close and the Lord will be your shepherd and God will lead you. In other words, David <clears throat> went, because the giant was down didn't mean the giant was dead. And just because you have victories in your life doesn't mean that the enemy that you've knocked down, that he don't try to get back up. You not only have to knock the giant down, you have to slay the giant. David took his own sword and chopped his head off. Why? Because David was entering into a new season. And in that new season, in that new season, we feel like uh, the old one, if we don't kill, will cut off... Uh, we have to cut off from the old. We have to, when we enter new seasons, we have to cut the enemy off. We have to cut the old seasons off in our life because we don't want to take old seasons into new seasons that God is doing in our life. I thought about this story, and I thought about David as he sat back and began to pen on parchment this psalm, Psalm 23. And I know I've taken some time as an introduction into this Psalm 23, but I wanted us to get this because David just didn't just start writing. This was a piece of David's life. David knew what it was like to be led by the shepherd. He knew what it was like to have to be in a place of obedience with God. Now I want you to go with me as I close tonight. I want you to see this. David, as he's sitting back, 
And David says to himself, he says, I wouldn't be here if Israel didn't see me as a king. I wouldn't be here had they not celebrated my victories with songs. I wouldn't be here had I not defeated Goliath. I would not have defeated Goliath had I not stood into the arena to fight him. I would not have stood in the arena to fight him had I not heard him insulting the children of Israel. I would not have heard him insulting the children of Israel if I had not been around and asked to go to the battlefield and bring supplies to my brothers. I would have not have brought supplies to my brothers if I had not been in the palace and served Saul. Had I not been serving Saul to ease his distress by playing the harp, I would not have been in the palace. I would not have played the harp for David had I not had the opportunity to play it and someone see and hear me play and recommend me to Saul. I would not have been seen playing the harp had not the opportunity, the oil that was poured on my head. I would not have had the oil put on my head if Samuel didn't put it on me. I would, he would not have put it on me if Samuel didn't come to my father's house. Samuel would not have come to my father's house if he was not sent there by God who rejected Saul. In other words, David looked back over his life and he realized that all through his life, every step of the way, God was leading him. And that's why he was able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's why he's able to say that this led to that and that led to this and this led to that. I can't go through it tonight, but as I sat back and as I was looking over my own life, how God has led me. The one thing I've had to learn in my life is learn how to close the God gap in my life and learn to be obedient where God has me at the moment. Because where you're obedient at the moment, had David not been obedient in his father's house, Samuel would never have been led there. Had Samuel never been led there, he never would have been anointed king. If he had never been anointed king, he never would have been to the battlefield. He never would have slayed Goliath. He never would have became king. He never would have won the battles and became Israel's greatest king. All because he learned to close the God gap and to walk with God where God had him. Some of you are trying to control your own life, open your own doors, and I'm here to tell you the Lord is your shepherd. God says, I know the plans I have for you. It's to prosper you. It's to bless you. It's to lead you in the greater place. But you have to let go of the reins and let God have control. Give God the place in your life. Closing tonight, if you'll gather around, we're going to take communion together tonight. If you'll grab your communion emblems and get them together and come and and we will take them tonight as we close. As I began to think about this Easter Passion Week and the, what we are celebrating this on Thursday night here this evening, as Jesus came and sat with His disciples at the Last Supper, really, some believe that the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' greatest sermon. As amazing as it was, the instruction that he gives to his disciples at the Last Supper is very powerful. 
He washes their feet, gives us the ordinances of the church. To what he shows as a servant, he puts on, he arises, and he begins to wash their feet in humility. That evening, he sits before them in the meal, and he breaks the bread, and he breaks the cup, and he begins to instruct them and tells them. He begins to tell them to love one another. And I want to tell you that if there's anything that there's a God gap or disconnect in the church culture today, is that we've lost the ability to learn how to love one another. And the problem is we never get to the place of resurrection in our life because we never get away from the communion table, because we never learn how to love one another, and because we don't learn to love one another, we can never move forward in the freedom that resurrection brings to our life. I'm telling you, there are people that are listening to me tonight. You have aughts against your brothers. You have aughts against people in Christian world. You have offenses. And what happens is, I'm telling you, the church loses its effectiveness because the body of Christ has lost the ability to love one another. I'm here to tell you that we don't associate with certain people because we don't like the way they do this or do that. I'm telling you, this is your brothers and sisters in Christ. Churches won't associate with other churches because doctrinally they're different. I know that. And those differences can be differences. And those, there's a form for that. There's a place to debate that and to talk about that. But if we call upon the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And the enemy's job that he's been able to do is to divide us And what happens is the sheep has been scattered. They've been striked. And what happens is we've not learned how to submit to the great shepherd, the good shepherd. And I'm here to tell you as we take communion tonight, Jesus' instruction to his disciples was that they would learn to love one another and begin to trust one another and love one another. Until we learn how to love each other in the church, I'm not sure revival can come, but I'm believing that better days are ahead. And I'm believing that after this season, we're getting ready to enter a new season as the church. Revival's coming. God's getting ready to move. And some of you have been sitting on the sidelines. God is getting ready to close the God gap in your life. And you've been faithful where you are. You've been responsible. And God's getting ready to open the door for you. You've been in the Father's house tending sheep. You've been in the Father's house being obedient. And God's going to open the door for the palace. God's going to take you from the palace to the place of His will, and He's going to lead you like He led David. And David could sit back over his life and says, The Lord is my shepherd. He did not say that by instruction. He said that by experience. And I've had to learn a lot of life lessons by experience because I didn't want to listen to the instruction that God gave me. Israel's a nation had to learn that. Some of you right now, You have a strong will, and God is teaching you by experience. You wonder why you struggle with certain heartaches and continue to go around same mountains and same battles. A lot of it has to do not necessarily with the fact that the devil is on your back or the devil is fighting you. It's because you've got to learn how to yield to the great shepherd and learn to say, the Lord is my shepherd. As you take your communion cup tonight and take the communion bread Jesus commands us to love one another. If you're there tonight and listening, if you have any offense towards your brother, I want you right now 
I want you to give that to the Lord. I want you to say, Lord, I forgive them. They hurt me, and I forgive them. And I will love them. And maybe you need to go to them and talk to them. Maybe you need to call them and say, hey, brother, I've struggled with this. And, you know, I don't know if there is an answer to the end, but I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to move on. I'm not going to let this be a hindrance. I'm not going to allow the God gap in my life I want to be in right relationship with those whom God has put around me. We all have to learn to do it. We all have to work through offenses. We all have to learn through learn how to love our brethren. And I want to tell you, during this time of quarantine, I've learned to love the church so much more. I saw someone the other day I hadn't seen in weeks, and they came by the church and just It was just an excitement just to see the joy of their face. It's not like I hadn't been in contact, but there's just something about being able to see people and be able to have relationship. God's teaching us to miss the body of Christ. But if you'll take the bread tonight, I know we went a little long tonight, but this is Easter week. There's nothing on TV anyway. <laughs> it's worth watching. But if you'll take the bread tonight, This was Jesus' body. It's broken for us. What it means is that every wound, every strife, every difficulty, every battle, every wound that you have, He's healed. And by His stripes we're healed. Those that are sick tonight, those that have this virus, Jesus died for the healing of those that have this virus. We pray for them. We pray for healing. We pray for our brother who gave his life to the Lord. We pray for Dwayne. We lift him up. Dwayne Bush, we pray for him. We pray for quick healing. We pray for those that have been sick. These prayer requests we mentioned at the beginning of service. Let's break the bread tonight and partake of the bread. The very cup that I hold in my hand is the reason we celebrate this season. It's the blood of Jesus. You know, many of you I've seen on Facebook and And my wife had gone out this week and delivered these things that you put over the doorposts, these representatives of the blood of Jesus. The children of Israel was in Egypt. God said, go into your houses for a time until I tell you to come out and put the blood upon the door. And when the blood is on the door, then the pestilence and the plagues will pass by you. I thank God for that spiritual picture of God's protection. God's protection is just like God that leads his sheep into quarantine. And he leads them there for a season. He leads them there because he knows that there's danger of disease and and things that are out there that will try to destroy the sheep. He wants to make sure the sheep remain healthy. And the blood over the door. There's no greater gift to us than the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus forgives our sins and washes us clean and makes us whole. It allows men like David who weren't perfect but were obedient to God. The blood says you don't have to be perfect for Jesus was, but the blood speaks and the blood says that we, through Christ Jesus, through His blood, we are righteous. Let's take the blood tonight. Father, we thank you for the cup. 
Let's take of the cup tonight. Praise the Lord. God bless you. We want to thank you for joining us tonight. I want to pray with you before we leave as we close. Maybe you can't say, the Lord's my shepherd. Maybe you are caught between the God gap tonight. Maybe you're saying, I want to move out of this place that I am. I seem to be going around the circle after circle of the same battles and the same things in my life. I want to pray for you tonight. I want to pray that God will put in you the anointing that he put on David, that anointing for your life. When God anoints you, it means he's anointing your potential. And I pray that you get you get to where God wants you in life, but you have to allow the Lord to be your shepherd. We've taken two weeks on verse 1, but it won't go that slow here in the next couple of weeks. But I had to let you know the Lord, Jehovah God, God of our past, God of our present, God of our future, the I am, the I am. He'll be what you need Him to be when you need Him to be. He is my shepherd. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.